This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Micah Blanc, episode 190. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, hey, and welcome to the show, the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. Really excited that you're here. We're all about how to become financially free with real estate, but maybe not in a way that most people think, which is single family house investing. My guest today actually thought the same thing, single family house investing. I can't fault him for that because that's the same thing I did. I flipped three dozen houses and he was a brokerage. Oh, that's a lot of work. Then he flipped some houses. That's a lot of work until he finally stumbled into multifamily and says, wow, I like this mailbox money kind of thing. So today's guest is Phil Capron, former military. He got into real estate actually when he was still in the military. Obviously, you have very limited financial means. And he talks about how he house hacked himself into real estate investing and how he kind of stumbled into multifamily before making it an actual strategy. So it's really cool to watch his progression. And it's something that almost anyone can do using these different loan products that are that are out there and the way he describes to get into it. Now, there's a few things he would do differently, obviously, in shortcutting that and going right to multifamily. And in fact, he has a book out that describes uh, that even further. And we'll talk about that as well. So it's a really great way to house hack your way into multifamily in a much more efficient manner. So without further ado, let's get right here into the interview with Phil Caprin. Phil Caprin, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's going great. It's so super great to finally have you on the show. And um, obviously, you're a super accomplished syndicator. You've raised a bunch of money, done a bunch of deals. Now you're helping students do the same thing. But I want to kind of rewind the clock a little bit because you were doing some pretty cool stuff before you got into apartments. Like, what were you doing before real estate? All right. So I'll give you the, the quick elevator version of my life before real estate. I got into real estate, you know, the same way everyone else did. Um, I was an ocean lifeguard for seven years, played sports in college, traveled around the East Coast with a punk rock band playing drums, played poker professionally. And then uh, I didn't actually, know that about you. Wow. You didn't know that. Okay, there you go. We're, we're learning things. Nice. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, at, at 24, I enlisted in the United States Navy and went out for a special operations job called a special warfare combatant craft crewman. So I was fortunate enough to make it through the selection program there and get to hang out with some really awesome heroes. I mean, you know, the news lately, it seems like these guys have been all over the place with uh, things going on around the, around the globe. So that was a very interesting phase of my life. And that's actually what got me into real estate because uh, when I moved to Norfolk, Virginia from the training uh, center in California, I uh, had a decision to make. I could either continue to rent an apartment with a couple of buddies, or I could look into buying my first home. And uh, through this thing called the VA loan, veterans are able to get a primary residence with a 0% down payment, which I thought was pretty cool. So I learned a little bit about it and ended up buying a four bedroom, three and a half bath property, not far from base. And uh, the mortgage on that was 1350 a month at the time since refined. So that's why I say at the time. So it was $13.50 a month. And, uh, you know, I dragged my buddies that I was sharing the apartment with, you know, Steve and Alex. And Steve paid me 800 bucks. And Alex paid me 600 bucks. Wow. And then I also brought in John who paid me 600 bucks. So the fuzzy math on that is $2,000. 
on top of the 1350 my mortgage was every month, I was living for free. And uh, at that point, the light bulb kind of went off. And you know, I said, there's something to this real estate thing more than just not having to pay a landlord. So um, you know, I started digging into forums and you know, bigger pockets, I guess, was, was the, you know, the premiere back in, in 2010. You know, so started, started there, started getting some books and, and becoming educated. Actually, um, went out and got my real estate license while I was still in the, in the military. So when it was time for me to get out, I sort of hit the ground running. You know, if I could go back, I would do things a little different. We can cover that later. But um, what I did is I started selling houses to my buddies that were transferring into town, selling houses for my buddies that were heading back to California or another station, and then quickly got into flipping houses like we all do. We, we you know, we buy and hold, we, we flip. I did some subject to some single family rentals and, um, you know, eventually the light bulb that had been flashing for years, you know, as I'd been reading this stuff since 2010, went off and, uh, you know, I bought my first multifamily deal and per the law of the first deal, things have escalated rather quickly since. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And that back to that VA loan, uh, there's also something by the FHA, which is, sounds very similar because I've, I've interviewed a few people that started that same way. So right. it's like, it's not just for military, former military, it's also for really first time home buyers. And it seems to be a really popular way to get into it. And a lot of people stumble into it like like you do, you know, uh, like you did. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to rent. I'm going to buy. What am I going to buy? Oh, I'm going to buy this, this triplex or something. And then at the light bulb, like you kind of went off. Why did you start transitioning into multifamily? Because, I mean, sometimes with the house flipping stuff and the lease options, you actually have a pretty good thing going. And most people do it. And not everybody switches to multifamily. In your case, why did you switch over? Well, the short answer is by accident, but can I touch on the FHA and other products that are out there really quickly, just sure. as a comparison? Yeah. So Federal Housing Administration, FHA, um, is another government program, and generally it's a 3.5% down payment, which is pretty good. It's not a 20% that's a conventional loan, but something that um, you know FHA buyers are subjected to that VA buyers are not is this thing called private mortgage insurance. Basically, what the Department of Veterans Affairs does for service members and veterans is they guarantee a portion of the loan that the bank ultimately gives to us so that if we default, the bank knows that they can go back to the government, which is pretty credit worthy at the moment, to recoup a portion of their losses if they have to foreclose on us. So because of that, no private mortgage insurance is required. If you want the FHA route, you have to put a little bit of a down payment. So, you know, on... on a $200,000 purchase already, we're talking about a $7,000 difference. But that FHA monthly payment is likely $100 or $150 higher to pay a private mortgage insurer to give the same guarantee that the VA is giving to service members and veterans for uh, wearing the uniform and, and, and serving our country. So yep. that's a little bit of a difference that actually over time, it's a, it, it, it turns into a big difference. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. Even though the math that you just described would still work with an FHA loan if you had the seven thousand down, but the difference still works. You're making one hundred twenty-five dollars less, but you're still making money and you're still living for free. And so it really opens up the the world to a lot of people who say, "How do I get into the real estate investing business?" It's a great way to do it. And a lot of people, frankly, do it kind of quote by accident, uh, like you're describing, like you're about to describe getting into multifamily. How in the world do you get into multifamily by accident, Phil? So I have a buddy who's actually a business partner now. And when we met, we were flipping houses on the same street and I needed some help. And I said, hey, 
do you know how to do whatever we were working on? Uh, this little weird part of the roof. And he said, yeah, let me come over. So we chatted up, became friends, and I learned that he had a small portfolio and was looking for more. So when this 13-unit uh, property hit the market, I said, you know what? I, I should send it to this guy. I can sell it to him, and I can make you know, a $30,000 commission. That would be pretty great. So I take him over there. We tour this property. It's kind of a weird property. It's you know four duplexes, a triplex, and a couple single families and a couple garages on you know several contiguous plots of land. So kind of a weird little deal. Not your traditional multifamily, but technically you know multifamily. So I wasn't able to make a deal with with him. He said you know you want it for a price much lower than what the seller was willing to do. I went back to the broker and said, hey, he's not interested because of X, Y, and Z. And the broker floated the idea, well, what if the seller was offering owner financing? And, you know, I wrote, reported back to my guy and he said, you know, I don't care. I have my own money. And I said, ah, he doesn't care. He has his own money. He said, well, do you know someone that would buy it if it was owner financed? I said, would you sell it to me? Sure. Why not? So, you know, I negotiated a pretty interesting deal on that one in which I closed on a $900,000 portfolio properties for $5,074.01 of my own money and actually didn't pay a um, interest payment for the first seven months. I paid principal only, not interest only. So instead of having a $5,000 a month mortgage payment, it was like 860 bucks the first six months. And then the, well, the first month is no mortgage payment. And then the, the months two through seven was 860 bucks instead of 5,000. So you know, what's the return on that, you know, for seven months. So it's been a, it's been a, a, a difficult property to manage, but it got me in the game. So, you know, immediately after the rent check started coming in on this one, I said, you know, they're, they, they weren't kidding. There's something to this multifamily thing. When there's a problem, I show up and deal with a couple of 13 all in the same place instead of racing all over town. You know, I've got everything in a nice little spreadsheet. They drop the rents at the same place. You know, this is, you know, significantly less stressful than flipping or managing a handful of single families that are spread all over town and dealing with, you know, the different number of roofs and, you know, issues. Because ultimately, when something happens, you, you need to get someone there. So, you know, just a simple economy of scale was, was sort of the light bulb that went off. And also the fact that the rent checks coming in, you know, I would actually take them to the bank myself at this point because I was so proud and I would count out the cashier's checks and the cash. I don't do anything like that these days. But when you first start receiving rents, you think it's the best thing in the world. So that proved concept to me. And I, you know, I got, I got hunting to, you know, look for bigger properties. And, um, you know, so you talk a lot about the law of the first deal and how when you do one, you kind of grow that confidence to do the next and it's often a lot larger. I went from single families, flips to 13 units and then to 108. Wow. So it's a little bit of a jump. You know, some people don't believe this when I say this, though it happens so often, so frequently and so universally. And it's just staggering that it just happens. It happens all the time. And everyone who has happened to it is like, oh my gosh, it happened to me. It happened to you. It happened to everybody. And this is really encouraging because then we, we really focus our efforts on our students and just helping them do their first deal. We try to push your comfort zone a little bit, obviously, as, as much as we can. But at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter what size of deal they do. Like It's it's unbelievable to me because of this, this giant uh, progression. The other thing you said, though, is you said it wasn't a, a home run necessarily. 
And most first deals are not home runs. If you study them, they're like, ah, that one wasn't, it wasn't so great. Would I do that deal again? No, I probably wouldn't. But without it, I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. So talk a little bit about what that was for you, that first deal. So like I said, the cool thing was having the rent start to roll in. It really proved concept to me. And very quickly, I realized the areas in which this deal was somewhat untenable. If I was going to go and scale a couple hundred of these, I wouldn't want to be putting in the same level of work. Similarly to why I wouldn't want to be doing a dozen flips at the same time anymore or you know, having rentals spread off over town like we discussed. So it really, you can read and you can listen and you can um, you know, educate yourself to a certain extent, but eventually you have to get in the game. You know, I was driving down the road the other day and, and heard the episode with Drew Whitson and he hit the nail on the head with, you know, what he said is, is taking massive action. It's not listening to one more of these things. You know, obviously I've got my list that I, you know, I listen to, I spend a lot of time in the car and it's great. But um, there was a time when I was really in acquisition mode that I stopped absorbing content for a time. You know, there's and that was good. What you're saying, that was good. Was good. Mm there's a certain time where you kind of have to leave the nest and, and go for it because there's things, no matter how much you're educated, quote unquote educated, there's things that you don't know that you don't know. And um, what I know now is, is a good insulation of that is a peer group, a mastermind with other like-minded professionals uh, and investors that if I haven't seen a particular situation, I can just get on the horn and be like, Hey, uh, Michael, this happened. What do you think? And you're like, Oh, Oh yeah, you're having this issue with the lender. We're going to do this, or the seller's doing, you know, this particular thing. We're going to go this way. This is your negotiation play. But until you get in the game, there's a diminishing uh, marginal utility of additional education to a certain extent. Yeah, that's, that's that's a good point. A lot of people use it as an excuse, right? Hey, let me just let me do one more seminar, one more book. Uh, the other downside of education is that you're you are picking up new ideas, and so temptation is to. You know, I call it shiny objectitis to chase a new idea only so that you don't actually have to do something that might actually make you successful. We see that all the time working with our with our students. So you started, you did a, a small deal, 108 unit deal, and your job. You're still in the military at this point. At what point did you quit your your job? Was when did that happen? So I actually uh, left the military in 2012, and then my full time job was real estate brokerage. Um, did pretty well with that. Flipped the uh, same as you, a few dozen homes, maybe 35 or 40 um, in my career. And that was my job. And it was a pretty good job. But as soon as I didn't have a deal lined up for the next few months, I knew I wasn't going to get a, a fat paycheck. So there's that, that roller coastery kind of stress mm-hmm. going on there. And uh, when I bought the 13 unit and the rent started rolling in, I said, wait a second, this isn't life-changing money, but this could be repeated. I can do this again. So I went year and a half, still doing brokerage, still doing some flips while, you know, looking and acquiring multifamily. And then I left the real estate license and the flipping behind. Wow. And had you already done that 100, 100 plus unit deal at that time? Was it after that one? Yeah, it was after that one. I think it was, uh, I think it was when I had my following deal, which was 82 units. I said, okay, we've, we've got enough runway here. Because in addition to I'm sure most of your listeners know this, but in, in addition to the monthly income that these these properties generate for us, as the the hub, the um, sponsor, the syndicator, you know, 
we're in a position to negotiate an acquisition fee for ourselves. And I'll tell you what, that's even better than flipping so far in my experience. You put together a great deal first, then you build a great team around it, you raise the money, and at closing, you get a, a nice little check, and then you put your team to work, you manage them, you set expectations, and uh, ensure that they're adhered to, and uh, ideally, you have some successful projects. There's always bumps in the road, but uh, that's just that's another stream of revenue that maybe some maybe some people don't realize exists. Yeah, it's not so much exactly. a cash flow in the beginning. It's it's really the the acquisition fees. You do one or two deals a year, and it can cover your entire salary uh, pretty pretty easily. Now, what is how do you advise your students on when they should quit their job or how they should transition into multifamily investing? Right on the one extreme, there's the burn burn the boats mentality. I'm quitting my job right now. I don't have a single deal in sight. And then the other one is I'm going to wait until I get like fifty thousand dollars a month coming in. I'm one hundred and ten percent sure I can cover my expenses. And then there's everything in between. How did you make that decision and and what does that conversation look like with some of your students? I think I've taken a path, as I, as I mentioned, that's maybe a little bit outside the norm. My entire adult life, I, I see something I want to do and I go do it. <laughs> um, you know, every individual's life circumstance is not going to permit that. Um, if you, you know, have a family and obligations, maybe that's not the right play to kind of attack it in the way that I did. Like you said, there's something to being all in, not having a plan B. It does a lot for the psyche to, you know, rule out failure as an option. You know, in fact, when I was getting ready to head out to uh, Coronado, California for special ops training, I ran into an old buddy who's a Navy SEAL. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, the, the golden nugget here. I said, hey, like, what's the, what's the secret to making it through training? And he says, just don't quit. And I was really offended at the time because that just seems like, well, duh, right? Don't quit. Thanks. No, but what's the secret? But going from, you know, pre-boot camp where, you know, hundreds or thousands of guys are trying to get this job to boot camp where maybe there's, you know, a couple hundred still in the mix to actually making it to training when, when there's, you know, the better part of a hundred to the end where there's 20 or 30, like what, what was the difference? The first day of training, the, the one uh, instructor says, look to your left, look to your right. If you're lucky enough to make it to the end of this, those guys won't be there. You decide who you're going to be. And I watched really strong guys quit. I watched really fast guys quit. Guys who are really smart or great shooters, they all fell by the wayside. Because, you know, what I, what I learned there, and, and this has really shaped my life, is that we all fail in our education system and in our society as a whole, we tend to look down upon failure and, and do anything that we can to avoid failure. But really that's the only way to growth, you know? So, so that to me was a really significant, significant moment of transformation in my life when I realized that, and it gave me the freedom to, to sort of do what I want. So, you know, dialing back into the actual question, you have to be somewhat realistic about your life circumstances. You don't want to put your family out on the street over your dream. But if you simply make a decision that you are going to do this, write it down and create a plan and surround yourself with other people that are doing it, you absolutely will. It's probably not going to be next week, next month. But when you look back a few years from now, you're going to be really happy that you did make that decision if it's right for you. So I would say keep the W-2, keep the W-2 for a while, build up a runway, let's say, Nine months of, um, you know, whatever your living expenses are would be a pretty healthy reserve. 
And at that point, if you want to burn the boats, you've got nine months to figure it out or retreat back. That's a, that's a pretty good you know, amount of time to figure it out. So I, yeah. I don't, don't advise just jumping in the fire right off the bat. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just something that you do on the side. And having said that, you know, there, there are plenty of people like Tyler Sheff, who's now a podcaster, author. He had a government job and gave himself a six-month runway. And man, he had to hustle to, to get that done for sure. And yeah. I respect people who, who burn the boats. It, you know, is it advice that I give people? Probably not. But however, my observation is people who burn the boats, there is no plan B. And that makes their plan A unbelievably strong. And they have no other choice but to be successful. And your observation is interesting about people who quit left and right. So it's the big guys, the fast guys, people with talent, natural given resources, yet somehow they don't make it. And and your observation is that even in this in this world, it doesn't matter how much money you have, what people you know, it's something else, right? It's a decision. Uh, it's maybe your why. Or something. I mean, what are some of the patterns that you see in people? Because you work with dozens of students, right? So some people just are getting stuff done. They're successful and others uh, are not. Like, what do you what do you think sets them apart? What I think sets them apart is the quality of their life or at least their perception of it. Mm. If you have a pretty good life, there's no real reason for you to change. The mortal enemy of great is good. If you have it good, the chances of you making a lasting change are, are not very good <laughs> to be to be frank yeah and, and and that's the that's the big thing and i think also some people are actually scared of their own success you know it's fun it's kind of like the education thing it's fun to listen to podcasts and go to the seminars and dream big but they wouldn't understand what to do or what their life would look like when they achieve it and they actually self-sabotage so the difference between my successful students and the ones who aren't is that they're willing to have a little bit of faith that we know what we're talking about within the program and that we're not going to completely lead them astray. And uh, like I had one, one couple that I'm working with that submitted their first LOI yesterday. I just got an email before I hopped on today. They're like, well, hang on. We, we found out that the expenses for the maintenance, they're a little bit high. I said, no. Now is not the time. We went over the numbers. We played, you know, through several different scenarios. And this is going to be a fair valuation of the property prior to touring it. Send the LOI. We're not gonna, we're not gonna have it all figured out. There's you know, stuff it's it's interesting. This this is the true value of having a, a mentor like like you. We see this all the time. And it's interesting that people are looking for ways to sabotage. You said it, sabotage themselves. It's hard to believe, but uh, we've seen a lot of people not not submit LOIs or offers because they're afraid that they might get accepted. What is yeah. the fear behind that? It's 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 actually fairly common, which is why I bring it up. What is it that um, most people are afraid of failure? But there's a good number, almost fifty percent, have an equal uh, fear of actual success. Why is that? Because it's going to cause or force change. Hmm. And uh, a very strong human need is is stability, and you know it, it depends on the person. Clearly, I I don't have a whole lot of that gene. <laughs> I'm willing to kind of go for it and and do things when I decide that I want to. But some people, the idea of changing their routine even a little bit is terrifying. So you know I can appreciate it. I don't entirely understand it, but I think that's the reason. Is um, once you step into this place, this game and you start doing it, different things are required of you and you have different options. And you know, a life as a real estate agent, it's a lot of stress, you know? Um, the, the stated goal of doing all that stuff was to spend more time with family, friends, travel, but I wasn't, you know? 
So I found a better way and now I'm doing those things. So two issues. One is afraid of success. And that's exactly one of the reasons we have our Financial Freedom Summit once a year where we simulate the purchase of a 64-unit apartment building so that people see what happens after the offer is accepted. And they discover that it's, oh my gosh, life actually goes on and they might actually survive that process. And they go, oh my gosh, that wasn't so bad. The other thing also about people's lives not being so bad. That's the other problem that we see. How do you people address that? So they come to you and says, Phil, I want to do my first deal. I want to quit my job. And then, you know, maybe they don't show up for a coaching call. They don't do the work or they come up with this and the other, the other excuse. How do you coach someone through something like that when they say, I want something, but they don't really actually, aren't really clearly moving towards that? Is there, is there a way out for these people or are they, are they just lost? As the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water. You cannot make it drink. And at a certain point, we're going to have a a sit down and I'm going to suggest that maybe, you know, this isn't the highest and best use of their time because they're stating that they want one thing, but their actions are reflecting something entirely different. If we're at the phase in our training program where we're, you know, dialoguing with brokers, we are submitting LOIs, we're analyzing properties. And, you know, we get together a couple of weeks from now, Michael, and you haven't called a single broker. You said you're going to analyze 10 deals and you didn't analyze any. You know, what are we doing? Your, your words are saying one thing, but your actions are saying another. And, you know, I am working with you in the coaching program because I really do enjoy, you know, the art of the deal, for lack of a better term, and the excitement of people getting into their first deal and seeing what they can create. And frankly, I'm not always going to have a deal because while I look at deals just about every day, most of them are not worth my time investment, you know, um, the work required or the price that the, you know, the seller's commanding. So with a dozen students, chances are just about every day, I've got somebody that's doing something pretty cool. And if you haven't gotten this so far about me is I'm, I'm kind of an action junkie. So, you know, it, it keeps me amused. I just, I love seeing other people succeed and there's so much opportunity in this space. You know, multifamily is getting a little overheated, especially at the higher level, but there's still deals to be made out there. And I just love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I love the art of the deal and I love people doing their first deal and then eventually quitting a job because one follows the other essentially automatically. And I love that. And it's great to have people like like you on board that, that share my passion for the same thing. It's really, really exciting. Now, since you've uh, you've kind of been a full-time investor, obviously, this allows you to focus full-time on investing, obviously. But you're doing other stuff too, right? Well, I mean, what? how else are you spending your, your time now that you have a little bit more of it? Well, you know, my deals, first and foremost, looking for new deals, managing the deals that I have. Right now, I've got, a, what, 245 units, closing on 20 units tomorrow, another 30 unit just dropped in my lap that will probably do. I've got 100 unit under negotiation. So that's, that's a good tranche of time um, right there. Then, as I mentioned, deal, you know, working with my students uh, on their deals, that's, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 hours a week, depending on exactly where folks are in, in the deal process. And then, you know, the rest of the time, I'm surfing, skydiving, traveling, going to conferences, hanging out with cool people like you, you know, in the process of moving to New York City. So a quick aside, deals are getting more, you know, they're, they're fewer and farther between. There's a lot, I believe, there's a lot more money out there looking for people like us than there are deals. So moving to New York, I'm going to be able to rub elbows with some folks that 
you know, have pretty significant means, own, you know, real estate investment trust, funds, other things like that. And actually, I'm very close to signing on the deadline to start a fund of my own. So that's kind of like the next, the next iteration. But uh, currently, I've got a workload every week that I'm cool with because working with, you know, our, our students, our mentees gives me a lot of joy. And then, you know, managing my properties, usually things are going pretty well. And that's great. And if there's an issue, then it gives me a chance to put the problem solver hat on and do that. But, um, you know, I decide when I clock in and, and clock out, I can go to California and surf for a week if I want. And, um, you know, to me, there's nothing better than that. That's awesome. Now, you're also writing a book. Tell us writing about that. Yes. So it uh, will probably be out by the time, or it will be out by the time this airs, I believe. On Veterans Day 2019, I'm releasing your VA, or Veterans Administration, loan and how it can make you a millionaire. And I'd been working on this for a few years, working, I'll use air quotes on that because I'll tell you what, guys, writing a book is pretty hard. It really is. So, you know, I've been writing a book since probably 2016 or 17. But I have to have to give you a big thank you. I had never heard, you know, the the concept or, or the law of the first deal before you sort of coined the term. And, um, you know, your VA loan and how it can make you a millionaire. What I'm trying to show service members, especially newer service members or even veterans that, that are no longer in the service, is once you start the snowball of real estate ownership rolling downhill, you figure out that it works. It's just math. You know, so we go over some examples of if you acquire a certain price of property, what does that look like in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And, you know, the difference between being a homeowner, even if you just do it once, and a renter for 20 years, a 20-year military career is staggering. And what that buys for you, even if you don't, you know, become a big-time real estate investor, by the time you get out from military service, you know, you could start a business, you could pay the thing off and, and, you know, have the cash flow supplement your retirement so that you're not forced into a job you don't like. You can give back to your, your community by, you know, teaching, being active in the scouts, coaching a sports team, running for office, something like that. And, and I believe that our service members and veterans are, you know, some of the best citizens that we have. So I want them to have options. And, you know, if they just would start like I did, you know, in their early to mid 20s, by the time they're in the mid 30s or 40s, you've created those options. And, you know, getting into a property for zero down, how can you do better than that? But it, it's a double edged sword, such a highly leveraged property. Because if you buy it bad, then if something changes in your life, all of a sudden, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna be underwater, and you're not going to be able to keep up. So we discuss strategies on not just buying anything, but buying the right thing, being discerning, being investment minded, and um, you know the different strategies to take that initial investment, that initial flag you've planted, and grow it into something great. You know, you don't have to go and rack up a bunch of apartments like I have, but if you just rack up several homes over the course of a military career, your whole financial outlook will be drastically different. So. If you are interested in that, I mean, Veterans Day has come and gone, but Christmas is around the corner. So if uh, you're a veteran, recommend you pick it up, obviously. But just about everyone knows a veteran. So go to philcapron.com, P-H-I-L-C-A-P-R-O-N.com. There will be a link to 
you know, to Amazon, pick it up for your favorite veteran and, um, and try to, to open their eyes to this, this whole real estate and financial freedom thing. See, I love it. You have such a unique story and you're able to attract, uh, you know, the veteran and military to this, to this product and real estate investing in a way that really no one else can do. And I, I love that. I think uh, there's a lot of people who think that they don't really have a message or a story. They're not an expert. In other words, they're not good enough to actually teach anyone anything. And, you know, what advice do you have to uh, people who say that? Because I hear it all the time. Everyone has a story. And, you know, in the, in the age of social media, it's a little overwhelming. You know, if all you do is scroll Facebook and Instagram all day and watch the news, of course, you're going to feel small. It's a Marianne Williamson quote that I'm going to butcher. But it's, it's not that you're scared of not being enough. It's you're scared that you are powerful beyond measure. I believe that's Marianne Williamson. If I got that wrong, eh, sorry. But you know that's that's sort of the, that's sort of the crux of it. And, and people oftentimes can't get out of the way of that that fear. But it's not it's not based in reality. It's just not. You can you can do whatever you want to do in this life. And I'll tell you what: if you pick up my book, the first couple chapters are incredibly humbling to this guy. And I needed to put that information out there because I'm not special. The only thing that I think I do really well is, is take action once I've made a decision to do it. And that has been, it's been the difference in, in my life. And I find that a lot of people just can't, can't get out of their own way. They can't overcome the fear. But I think I will get this quote right. Tony Robbins says that the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of discomfort you can tolerate. So if you can get yourself a little bit outside of the comfort zone, take a chance, um, you know, you can accomplish great things. And, you know, back to the military, I, I think the, the one trait that a lot of service members and veterans have is this, it's this idea of being gritty about not giving up, about hitting a wall and then finding a way around. Um, I think I've told you this story, Michael, but real quick aside, my 82 unit, the bank actually denied our loan after we had $50,000 hard. Um, long story, much shorter. The loan officer that we'd been with for three months and then put in an extension to close month four quit on New Year's Day. So they're like, hey, this is your new loan officer. Got right in touch with them. Said, hey, we're closing in two weeks, you know, blah, blah, blah. Said, no, I don't like this deal. We're not going to do it. What do you mean we're not going to do it? We're 50,000 hard and four months in, you know, well, the other loan officer didn't have the authorization to say that. Well, they did, you know. So somehow I convinced the president of this regional bank and the entire C-suite to meet with me to hear out my deal. And so I'm in Kinko's that morning trying to put together a presentation to get them to reverse their decision. And I'm thinking about, you know, myself, what I've done and my story and my team members, a couple of which I was bringing with me. And, you know, I had those as the first few pages. And I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I took them and I moved them to the back of the packet. The first page of the presentation I put together for these bankers was the worst case scenario, which was the existing operations from the seller, which were running about a 65%, 68% expense ratio combined with the new debt service we we're seeking from them. And would we be able to make our debt service coverage ratio? And did we have any path for for growth. So we did by the skin of our teeth, we came in at like a one, three or something cover. And then the next page was what's it going to look like if we can achieve, you know, 
halfway to our pro forma and then what's it going to look like at our pro forma so the president of the bank the first page he's like wait a minute what about you guys and you know i said sir with all due respect you are a bank correct he said yeah I said so you're in the business of lending money it doesn't matter who i am look at this worst case make sure that you agree with all my assumptions the listing broker sitting here he can verify that these are in fact the t12 numbers does this loan work at these numbers said, yeah, but it's not going to make you much money. I said, right. Okay. Page two. So we went through the thing and at the end of the presentation said, okay, well, we feel more comfortable about the deal, but you know, who are you guys? And then I got a chance to talk about my experience and, you know, my team members, one of which is a graduate of U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Another one's an Army Green Beret. Another one's a Navy Special Ops guy. I have a property manager on the team, like pretty much anything that they came up with, we, we quashed it. And, you know, so I'm driving, uh, I'm driving home afterwards and they call and I said, Hey, we still don't like the deal, but we really like your team and we're going to give you the loan. Nice. So I guarantee you about 99.7% of people would have given up when they got the loan denied and would have lawyered up and tried to do something about their EMD at that point. But you know, we're all human beings and nobody's better than anyone else. It's just about what we decide we're going to do and finding people to fill in the gaps in which we are weak. So if you can make that decision, the sky's the limit in this business, but you have to know what you want first and just go for it. Yeah. I love that. So the book again is your VA loan and how can make you a millionaire on Amazon. Phil, how can people connect with you? So, uh, philcapron.com is easy. P H I L C A P R O N Facebook. I love Facebook. Um, if you're going to friend me, send me a message and let me know you heard me here and that I will absolutely get back to you. It's just tough with all this, the spam out there these days. Also, uh, you know, have a, have a podcast by the same name, your VA loan, how it can make you a millionaire. And if you're a veteran that would like to come on and tell your story about how your VA loan kind of made that light bulb go off for you in real estate and what you've done since, love to have you. Um, hit me up. And um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Phil, great story. Great inspiration. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Michael. Really appreciate the opportunity. So the thing that really stuck out with me is never quit. And I think just in observing students who come through our programs, uh, the ones who succeed and the ones who don't, it does not matter what race, ethnicity, gender, financial or personal resources they have. It really is a matter of not quitting. And I think it does boil down to a decision point, really, is how authentically has someone decided they didn't want to change their life. And a lot of people can trace their decision to exact moment of when this happened. And sometimes the people who don't actually haven't authentically made that decision, their why is actually relatively weak because their current life ain't so bad. And if that's the case, you know, why is it worth changing at all? So if you're going to get into anything, any kind of business, opening up a business or doing that, anything of meaning, you really have to decide that you want to change your life in a meaningful way. And if you've done that, there is no other outcome but you being successful. And we see that with our students and just really excited about our mentoring program because it takes that person and that decision and accelerates the entire process. I mean, mentoring is great for you if you want to accelerate everything. You want to accelerate the speed and the size of your deals. 
So if you'd like to work with with Phil Capron, for example, one of a uh, half dozen full-time apartment building investors, syndicators that uh, mentor, and they're just very similar to Phil, super experienced, and they really share my passion in helping people do their first deal so they can become financially free. To do that, go to themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. So it's themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. You can schedule a call with us and explore with us if that is right for you. Again, it does require significant investment, but if you have the financial means, there is really no better way to accelerate your success. So I'm really super excited uh, that we have that available and that that you're able to work with such unbelievably high quality people. So Phil Capron is one of those people. Check those out. Also, make sure you grab his, his book. Right, so your your VA loan and how it can make you a millionaire. If you're a veteran or you know a veteran, uh, this is going to be a great book for them to to see a, a way to secure their financial future as well. So thank you so much. Appreciate you guys being on the show. Catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.